Hello, everybody. Before we begin, a little program note. We don't have a usual pristine sound quality because Valerie June was speaking from a laptop mic, which apparently had seen better days. But we think that the content of what Valerie has to say is so magnetic and profound that it's well worth listening to. And so you are now listening to the voice of Richard Wolfie Wolf, and this is Wolf in Tune. Today, my guest is Valerie June. I'm delighted to say. By the way, welcome, Valerie, to the uh, Wolf and Tune podcast. Thank you for having me. Been looking forward to talking with you. And uh, I'm going to read my. I I I got your bio, but I'm doing my version of it, which is really short. So so bear with me. Your the the latest album. Your latest album is the Moon and Stars Prescriptions for Dreamers, which is the follow up to. Her widely adored The Order of Time, an album that earned the admiration of Bob Dylan, we're going to have to talk about that, and landed on best of the year lists from the likes of the New York Times and Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone listed June's album as one of the 50 best albums of the year, citing her idiosyncratic brand of Americana, steeped deep in electric blues and old-time folk, gilded in country twang and gospel yearning. So Valerie has a quite unique combination of different genres. I don't think anybody combines folk, soul, gospel, country, blues, psychedelia, and symphonic pop. Nobody that I know of. But she's also an author, an author of the book of poetry and drawings called Maps of the Modern World. And most importantly to us here at Wolf and Tune, Valerie is a practiced, experienced, and learned practitioner of meditation and mindfulness in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh, among other people. So welcome, Valerie. It's thrilling to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And where are you talking to us today from? Today I'm in Brooklyn, New York. That's where you live, right? Yes, half the time here and half the time I'll be in Tennessee, like next week in Tennessee. Oh, well, I, you know, right now you sound like the half the time you're in Brooklyn. I could tell from your accent. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me in trouble. <laughs> they don't want me to lose it. You're also going on the road. Yes, I, um, I've been on the road. I just got home yesterday, so I did about, I guess, I went to bed at 8.30 last night and got up at 9.30 today. I was tired. It must be doubly stressful with COVID going on. I mean, how do you manage all those protocols, right? Do people have to be vaccinated to go to your gigs? How does that work? Well, they must have a proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test to enter the venues. Just wearing our mask along with the crew. When we arrive at a venue, all of the crew at the venues, they have been wearing their mask and trying to be mindful and socially distanced. So do you set a time every day to meditate or how does that work when you're on the road? On the road, I find that you will always have times where you are still for anywhere from three to five hours. Like the drive from Boston to New York was about four to five hours and the drive from Boston to Philly was about five hours and then from Philly to back to New York was two hours. 
So I use that time to kind of make myself a little mini shrine in the back of what we travel in a spreader van. So in the back of the van, I'll have all of the things I need, my books, my crystals, my journals, my beads. And I just use that time to just connect with myself and follow my breath. As the scene's changing, we're on the road, we're moving, and everyone in there is doing their own thing. Some people are listening to music, some people napping, of course, the driver's driving. But I just use that time to prepare myself for what I have to do that day in the mind's eye, in the heart space that I need to be in in order to share my gifts. And that means that I'm doing my breath work and my mantras and my affirmations while I'm there. And then once I get to the venue, I like to carve about anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour to do a walk. And that time is my time where I just go into a full-on walking meditation and just stay in it until I return to the venue and get back into the chaos. That's when it's more chaotic is once you're in show mode. But besides that, I try to make the whole day like if we have to leave at nine, then I try to get up at about seven and hydrate till eight and also dance in my room. So I make sure that I've hydrated and I've danced and used my body and been physical that morning before sitting for hours. <laughs> and that sitting is what I use for my journals and for my meditation. So there is definitely a practice to keeping the body kind of like a temple when you're on the road so that you have a strength to share. Wow. That's incredibly difficult. I mean, I don't know that many musicians that meditate regularly and go on the road, but the ones that I do all say that it's so difficult. There's so many distractions that you have and you don't have a steady routine and there's so many interruptions that they can't maintain any kind of practice. Maybe they say maybe five minutes before they go on, they try and you know see if they can just have a few moments of silence. But what you're describing is an incredibly intricate regimen of meditation that's incredibly, it requires discipline that's very unusual. But that's, that's your character. I mean, that's who you are. You're able to do that. But people should know it's not, it takes an extraordinary amount of devotion and dedication to be able to do what you're doing. Well, they, I'm a Capricorn, and that's one of the things they say about our sign is that we have this kind of a disciplined sign. <laughs> so maybe that's what it is that keeps me focused on it. But I know I need it. I need it in order to handle some of the things that you face when you're on the road. Like with this past adventure, we had two times where we almost had a wreck. And I was just like putting circles of white light and positivity and protection around our vehicle, but also all travelers on the road and in the sky and however people are traveling that we will be safe and make it to where we need to be. And so I just, I'm in a state of admitting those kinds of faults as I move through the traveling and the movement of work. It's work. <laughs> or shall I say it's practice. I like that work so much better now than work. In my book, I hadn't made it to the place in my life where I was using the word practice. But really, I need to go back. And every time I put the word work, I need to mark it out and put practice. <laughs> when did you start to use practice? I think it was talking to Sister Peace and having her say, I don't, she said, I don't really like the word work. And 
she said something to the effect of we are not working it is not like a labor of heaviness that we're doing she was like it can be heavy sometimes but it's a practice you know it's just something that we're continuing to you know you might fall down you might feel heavy well you get up and you practice riding the bike again the next day you know versus oh i'm just doing all of this work <laughs> There's a big difference in perspective there. As a musician, I've been inspired by thinking about meditation as practice because first I was practicing music, right? And you're a musician, that's what you do. I mean, if you're serious, you're, you're practicing, even if you're not that serious. They make you practice. And then when you realize that it's a practice, it gives you confidence and faith that, oh yeah, I practiced my ukulele or I practiced my guitar and I made mistakes and I played clams, but I didn't beat myself up over it. I just played it again till I got it right. That's practice. So as musicians, it's a natural segue into using that term, I think. That's true. And I, I think it's just one of the other ways that meditation and music, they kind of align in a lot of ways. It's the opening to meditation. Music can be a huge door for people to get there. And it just makes you so much more gentle with yourself to, to put it in, a, in the state of practice versus, like you're saying, just being nice to yourself. I made a few gloves, but I practiced today. I got there. At least you said. <laughs> well, we're going to get back to the bridges between music and meditation. But can you tell us, because I love hearing this, how you started your practice of meditation? Well, I started when I was living in Memphis, Tennessee, and I didn't play any instruments at the time. All I did was sing, and I had several jobs. I was um, a cleaning lady, so I would wake up and clean like anywhere from two to three houses that day, and then I would get off from there and go to this herb shop called Maggie's Farm and work for a few hours that afternoon, and then in the night, play gigs if I had them. And so as I would clean a house, the lady who started this um, cleaning company that helped a lot of artists in Memphis, her name is Candace, and she said, this is not just a cleaning job. You're a domestic artist, and you should go into a state of meditation when you're cleaning someone's house. And I was like, how can I possibly do that? How can I enter that same state of meditation that I feel when I'm just focusing on a flame of a candle and following my breath as I'm cleaning? And so one day I just started as I dusted a house to follow my breath. Breathing in, I am dusting, and breathing out, I am dusting. And breathing in, I am, as I vacuum, breathing out, I am vacuuming. And this, because I worked for anywhere from six to eight hours a day cleaning became my day. And once I got full into my breath, the breath work, and I was just in the breath, not having to focus on anything but the breath and not even the conversation of breathing in I am, and breathing out. I would bring in words. I would bring in words like breathing in radiance, breathing out radiance, breathing in joy, breathing out joy and just began to flow and by the time I got finished with the house I would just be lifted it didn't matter where I was physically because my spirit and my other self my deeper self I was there I was connected with that 
And so I learned that I can have this state of awareness with me wherever I go and started to take it into music when my body shut down from finding out that I was diabetic. I just did so much healing work with my body and that practice became so important in that period of my life. But after I started to just focus on only doing music, that's when I started to say, well, how can I bring my practice into my day with music? Because like you said, it's hectic. And that's when I started to find those moments of stillness between the traveling or within the traveling where I could say, okay, I'm going to be on this plane for the next five to eight hours. I can dedicate this time to my practice versus I'm just on the plane and <laughs> all of this stuff and I'm tired and all, you know, taking all of that in. No, reversing the energy. And so that's kind of how it started it was just as a cleaning lady in Memphis, Tennessee. Just cleaned a lot of plates, <laughs> scrubbed a lot of floors <laughs> and meditated while I did it. <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. I mean, that's kind of like the crown jewel is to be able to figure out how you can be in everyday life and still experience everyday Zen, right? Um, because it's one thing to sit on the cushion or whatever, sit in meditation and get realizations, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have to go live your life. And how do you bring that into your life uh, from moment to moment? That's the hard thing. There's a, there's a saying in, the, in Zen, the head made it through, but the body is still sticking out. And that, that's the way I feel most of the time, you know. It's like your head's made it through. I, I see this stuff. I, I know how it's supposed to go. I know how it's going. This moment is perfect. Every moment is perfect. I know all of that, but yet it's not being embodied, you know. It's, it's different when you're living that reality. So you were able to start out. Uh, well, you had some experience meditating, sitting, and then you transferred it to, okay, my daily activity and I guess that's the secret why you could do that, you know, sitting in a van, almost crashing on some highway, because you had that experience already, which is a very uh, motivating story. Well, thank you. It's, um, it's definitely like, just as I said, the practice becomes so important as we are in these bodies. For example, walking down the New York City street. How can I be aware as I touch the concrete of each step of my breath and my body and where I am and my surroundings and my interconnectivity to everything on the planet in every single moment? And for me, it just has to come to a point of me just as I'm walking saying, thank you for this life. 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 And then things start coming out. Like I saw a ladybug today. And then I saw a sign that somebody had graffitied on the side of something that said, see the divine. And I needed those things because our bodies get depleted and they get heavy. But if you're constantly like just connecting and looking for those signs of just strength around, then they're there. They are. And we got to have them. We have to. <laughs> To keep us in a, a healthy spot, I think we have to have those signs. What was that? The graffiti about the divine? It said, see the divine? See the divine. <laughs> That's cool. I was like, okay, I can see the divine in this 
in this day. Yeah, it's nice weather. It's beautiful. Okay, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so you mentioned Sister Peace. Can you talk a little bit about how you met her and how she's influenced you? I have some beautiful friends from Memphis. It was such an important time in my life because I went from living in this small town in Humboldt, Tennessee, to living in Memphis. And that's where I met Alan Spearman, who's a Memphis photographer, and later his wife, who is Amanda Lucidon. And they introduced me to Sister Peace. Alan knew that I loved the work of Thich Nhat Hanh from a decade of our friendship. And Let's just say who Thich Nhat Hanh is. He's a, 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 a Zen master. He's considered one of the great living Zen masters uh, from Vietnam, who was nominated by Martin Luther King for a Nobel Peace Prize many, many years ago. And he's written hundreds of books, probably, right? At least 100 books that has influenced so many people around the world. He really has brought in so many people. He's one of the uh, progenitors of mindfulness. He's been talking about mindfulness forever, so he's really been one of the great factors to bring that to the awareness of the Western world and uh, and a great teacher. So sorry to interrupt. People call his nickname is Thai, which means teacher, I think in Vietnamese. Yes, Sister Peace calls him Thai. And they do. And so I went to um, this monastery in Batesville, Mississippi, and that's where they have Magnolia Grove Monastery, where Sister Peace was working and practicing. And and I did walking meditation with them there and just got to experience being in the meditation hall and on the ground. And there's a beautiful statue there of Dr. King and Ty together. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I got to see that. You have to. Yeah, I've got pictures of them together, but not a statue. Sorry, go ahead. Well, it's a statue of that photo. What you seen? Oh. The artist did the statue from exactly that photo. Okay, beautiful. Because there's not that many photos of them together. So there's one of them standing side by side, and that's there. And the reason Ty wanted to put that monastery there is because of the tragic way we lost Dr. King at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis and his belief in peace and his belief in beauty and the oneness of humanity. And he thought it would be really healing to put a monastery there right outside of Memphis and just have the monks and the nuns there sending out all of that positive light all throughout the South and the nation. And he asked Sister Peace if she would go from France over to Mississippi to be there at the monastery there. And so that's where I went and I met her and I just loved the whole experience of being there and learning from her. And we are still connected. We were just talking last week. She's now in Alaska, but she just, um, no matter where she goes, you can feel her connection and, and just like hear her voice you know of positivity of like just connecting with the earth and and being here and living in peace that's really what she represents and he knew that and he was like I have just the monastery for you you have to go to Mississippi and work with the nuns and monks there because that's the perfect perfect place and what's the name of that monastery Magnolia what what is Grove. Magnolia Grove they have such great names in Zen for these places, like Plum Village. 
Yeah, I think I'll uh, I'll take, you know, rent a little room in Plum Village. That sounds great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Magnolia Grove. Uh, I've been to Deer Park Monastery, which is down uh, near San Diego. And I also did walking meditation with Thich Nhat Hanh, which was uh, quite an elevating experience. He's That's the other thing he brought, right, is, is, is he teaches a lot about walking meditation and how you can integrate that into your practice. Really important part of what he teaches. So you also teach, I think Sister Peace kind of has a program to go into schools and teach art and meditation. Can you talk about that a little bit? The program is called Grounded. And right now it's only in Memphis, but it goes into East High School there. And all of the um, people that are involved are artists. Sister Peace being an artist, artist of meditation and mindfulness, but there are dancers, there are photographers, there are musicians, myself being a poet and musician, and all of the teenagers are students, and they are also so strongly creative and artistic. And so what happens is the program starts with just us as artists showing how we use our creativity to bring mindfulness into our lives. Each artist will show that. And then every um, time we meet, there will be a meditation. And eventually, the artist and Sister Peace and everyone kind of leaves the students on their own. And they begin to do their own meditations and practices of mindfulness with each other. And what it does is just, it cultivates just a sweetness between them and a gentleness between them. Because Memphis is one of the most dangerous cities in America, and many of the students do go home to communities that are rough, you know? And so having these students at a very young age learn the art of mindfulness and meditation is so important, not just for them, but for the community, because it puts out any place we can put out a healing energy, we need to be doing that. And that's what it does. And they just continue to keep each other creative and excited about like positive messages and using their art for positivity. Even some of them will create like songs, rap songs or whatever, but the lyrics are way positive and and still impactful and still like mean the world to them, but they are not leaning so heavy toward violence. And it's just learning how to see the world in a new light really is what the work is around yeah, I know from experience uh, here in L.A., we have the I Have a Dream Foundation, and we have a program to go in some of the schools and uh, teach music and mindfulness. And I remember one of the first times having students sit in silence, and they were amazed. They never had the chance to really just sit in silence. And uh, it really was a revolution in consciousness for them. So it's that's a beautiful thing, and it's a great perspective to think about that it's affecting the entire community. I never thought of it that way. I think that's very interesting. So you mentioned also that you drew a correspondence between breathing and meditation, how important that is, and George Floyd saying, I can't breathe. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. 
I, as I said, have med meditated for many years and it's been a personal practice for me. And I share so much of myself. I share my art, my drawings, my poetry, my music. And I just felt like that was my personal thing that I didn't really want to share with the world. But in working with the students with Grounded and Sister Peace and Ellen and Amanda, it gave me courage to share my practice with my followers. And as the world during the pandemic started to just shift so fast in 2020, and we lost George Floyd, and I was in my meditations, I just started to share them on all of my socials because the realization came to me that the words that George Floyd said as we lost him were, I can't breathe. And the people that we were losing all across the globe were on respirators and having trouble breathing. And that's what the coronavirus attacks. And so it was just clear to me that what we needed to do was focus on our breath. Just simply slow the whole planet down and take moments to breathe. And when we do that and we bring our awareness to our breath, some of the things that have been happening, we can no longer allow them to happen. Some of the very negative impacts on the planet that we have, we're just like, no, we're gonna not, we're gonna not driving. So give the planet a break, you know? So that becomes better. We slow down and maybe be able to talk to a neighbor as we're leaving the house and see how they're doing. These kinds of things, just slowing everything down and just noticing the beauty that exists around the world and even just within your own home and yourself because we were all in home. So I just feel like those were the messages for me in 2020 and now to continue to share my breath work and this practice with people at my performances because I'm just starting to get out and perform the music from Moon and Stars Prescriptions for Dreamers. There are meditations on the record, musical meditations, where people could put it on loop and they could just sit and breathe and listen to those sounds of nature, of birds, of all of these peaceful, beautiful celestial sounds. Or they can, um, at the shows, I try to take at least 30 seconds where we just have a beautiful soft um, flute and pedal steel and we focus on our breath. And the reason why is because I think it's important to have a deep meditation practice, but for a lot of people it's hard for them to take that time. But I do know that even 30 seconds or one minute can shift your energy. When you're feeling like just super anxious and super upset and you're ready to just go off on somebody and do something crazy i say act a damn fool but i don't know if i can say that on here <laughs> then you just take those moments to just focus on your breath and things just slow down and you're a little more mindful in the way you handle whatever situation had you so elevated you know so I think just having that as a practice is really one of the things that I'm able to do at the performances. Besides that, sharing meditations online is the other way I'm able to share with my audience. You mentioned about acting a fool. Didn't I, oh, yeah. didn't I hear you at some point say you should act a fool? 
<laughs> I, you yeah. said that, and I thought to myself, fantastic. I don't need much encouragement to act a fool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think when I speak about acting a fool, I mean doing it in the way of something you passionately believe in, like a dream or love or something beautiful that the world might tell you, no, you should not go for that, or no, nah, you shouldn't be an artist. You shouldn't nurture that creative side of yourself, or you know, you don't have time in the day to take out and do some, what? Sitting and breathing and meditating? You don't have time for that. You need to be hustling and paying bills. I think that you have to act a fool sometime in that way. Yes, it could be foolish to spend five hours sitting on a stool meditating when you know you have a bunch of other things to do. But every once in a while, you really need to step out. You need to step out of the outside world into the inside world. And when you're in there, all of these amazing imagination expands and beauty expands and connectedness to that physical world and the outer world expands because you took that time. And so to me, I think of acting a fool as, as something that dreamers have to do. And when I think of the tarot card, I think of the fool card who is on the cliff at the beginning of a great journey. And I think it's an inner journey, all journeys leading us in. And they have a white flower in their hand and they take the leap. They have to choose to take the leap or to not take the leap. And I think the choice should be that you should believe in yourself. You should believe in the beauty you came to share with the world because every being has a gift to give the planet and it's out of balance when we're not sharing that gift. But it's hard to see your gift when you're only looking outside, you know? That's what I think. <laughs> because I figure, you know, you're in the music business and some days it might feel like... Uh, Everybody that you're around, they're acting a fool, um, oh. <laughs> right? In the other sense of the word, which leads me to the question, you've touched on a little bit, but how do you deal with the four horsemen of the musical apocalypse, which are anxiety, depression, addiction, and suicidal tendencies? You're in the music business. You know, we all face, at one time or another, one or more of the, these four horsemen. So how do you deal with that? I feel like all of them have come into my life, you know, and they come at different points. And the only way that I can deal with them is having that practice of, okay, I just need 10 minutes, 10 minutes of walking meditation. If I can just do 10 minutes of walking meditation in the middle of feeling like I'm ready to leave Earth, <laughs> then I'm going to be all right. Just got to get up off the couch and do it, 10 minutes. And then I come back from that and I'm like, okay, I'm feeling a little better, but I'm still feeling some anxiousness about being here and I need to catch a little more breath. So I'm just going to take 10 minutes and I want to dance to my favorite songs today. So I'll do my dance. And then 10 minutes of sitting meditation and then 10 minutes of consciously making myself some food and consciously eating that and appreciating every hand that touched the food in order for me to have it in my body and every part of my being, every cell being fed and bringing myself back to each moment in 10 minute cycles 
It's the only way I make it, you know? And I mean, like I have to do it because there'll be like days where I'm just like, okay, just give me a bottle of wine and I'm going to lay down and fuck the world. <laughs> but I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. What I'm going to do is, uh, sure, I'll have my glass of wine and my dinner or whatever, but it's not going to dominate my day. That's not going to be what's going to conquer me. And my sadness, my depression, like yesterday I was in the city and this happens a lot when I get off the road. I just feel sad. I don't even know how to describe it. I'm just sad, depressed. And I was in the city. I said, well, okay, I'm going to go get myself some lunch. I'm going to sit in a park and I'm just going to listen to the city as I eat. And I started to be thankful for the city and for the momentum of the city around me. And then I said, well, I'm just going to do walking meditation as I walk from the Flatiron District to Union Square. And I walked and I started crying and I just started crying and I just walked and cried. And I let that happen. I needed to let that happen. And by the time I got home, I felt strong and I felt good, but I needed that. In the middle of the crazy day, <laughs> I needed to take that 20 to 30 minutes and do my walking meditation as the city just washed, washed all around me <laughs> and just ground myself. So just having those little 10 minute pockets are the only way I'm able to make it, literally only. Yeah, so with all the experience you have, all the time you've spent in practice of meditation and being mindful of your emotions and and knowing who your true self is and getting into a selfless state of awareness, all that practice and all that time, you still have to face anxiety. Anxiety is still there. And the conditioning, the fact that you've been able to practice, that is what makes the difference. But it's still a practice. It's still something you got to do. It's not that anxiety all of a sudden goes away. Maybe if you lived in a monastery, maybe, I don't know. But living your life, I mean, I know this morning I was, you know, preparing breakfast and all of a sudden I, I feel my heart beating like I'm having a panic attack. Why am I having a, a panic? Well, I'm conscious, I'm aware, and I just start breathing and I calm myself down. The anxiety doesn't go away. It's just you learn how to manage it. There's no substitute for practice, for conditioning yourself, mind, body, feeling, to be able to be in harmony, to understand your feelings, to be able to observe them and not get entangled in the storyline of what's happening. But it takes, I don't want to use the word work, it takes practice. And you mentioned about being depressed, you don't know why, you, you get off the road and you're depressed. Well, it's very simple. When you're performing, it's a high. You're transcending yourself. You're going beyond yourself. And, you know, Bruce Springsteen says when he performs, he rises up and he vanishes into the music. And Alicia Keys said she ascends beyond the stars. So it's a high. And this is the difference between music and meditation is that the high is not going to last. Eventually, you got to climb down off the stage and you got to come down off your high. And then what do you do? Well, thankfully, we have these tools like you're talking about, the tools that you're talking about to be able to focus on something else besides 
the the ego and the self problems, the stresses and pressures, and all that uh, being aware of your breathing and mindful training and all that comes into play, and that's that's why we need both. We need music, of course, that's our life, but we also need the other tools so that we can deal with coming down off the stage and. Like you experience, you can't help that. You're going to feel deflated. And, you know, I have thought about what it would be like to be so connected with the other world, the inner world, that you don't have anxiety or depression or any other four horsemen. But I don't think that that is a human experience. I think the human experience is that you have these four horsemen that are constantly there and you face them and you like say, okay, I see you there. I, I know you're right there. I'm aware of you. It's just that you're not getting my attention today. You know? You're not getting it. Or, or chill. Why don't, why don't we chill and watch some Netflix together? You know, yeah, you know, me. welcome them in. Welcome them in. All right. I haven't seen you in a while. How you been? How's the family? <laughs> Because, you know, they have a lot of kin folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they got a lot of kin folks. It's been a while. It's good to see you again. Come on in and have a seat. <laughs> but it's, it is the practice. You know, I read these things online, and people ask me for mindfulness tips. You know, what do I do if, you know, I can give you a mindfulness tip. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But in the West, we like these little easy sound bites and, and these little quick-acting formula that everybody advertises. It doesn't work like that in a deep, permanent level it takes a lot of practice it's true and that the days where you know those little dark clouds i call them they come along i just look back at those days and i'm like thank you <laughs> i needed that i needed to like see that for a second i needed that cloud i needed that rain for just a little bit i needed it and i know i needed it because it makes me so much more appreciative of the moments when things are gentler, when the sky is clear. And I know that it's always going to pass. I, I can trust that now. I know it is. I'm like, I used to couldn't trust it. And I would hold on to depression for weeks and months. But now I can trust it. And I'm like, okay, I can let that go. It just made me remember, I don't know how I, if I could say this or not, but uh, you've been married twice, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I can um, <laughs> I can imagine the struggles that that required to deal with, right? You know, there are beautiful moments in both marriages, but to get to 30 and be like divorced twice was hard. And the last one being a physical domestic violence situation was tough because I know that so many women deal with sexual abuse and domestic violence, and not just women, but men as well in relationships. And just going through all of that, it just, I know I'm tough. I'm a tough person after everything I've been through. But I also have needed my practice to make it through. And I need it all the time. I need it. Because otherwise, I will spin and I'll look back and I'll count those as failures instead of um, blessings, you know. The fact that I was able to leave and that things did change, that's a blessing. And that I'm here, those are blessings. 
but I could also look at it and be like, yeah, shit hasn't gone my way at all. I thought I was going to get to 30 and have a family and beautiful life and all of the above. Nobody gets married thinking they're going to get divorced. <laughs> so I can look at it that way. But what I've learned from meditation and following my breath and knowing that with a dark cloud breath, the next one might be lighter. Knowing that that open space happens is that my perspective shifts. And what I saw as a tragedy of my life, I don't give it that power anymore. It shifts into being something that is like a fuel for what I wish to see or a beauty and, and propels me to what I wish to see, you know, versus being a weight. I'm not having it. <laughs> versus being what? What did you say? A weight. Like something that weighs on you. Oh, a weight. Speaking of weights, you mentioned that you feel there's uh, bridges between music and meditation. And I said I was going to come back to that. Can you talk about that a little bit? I know we could talk for hours about that, but just, you know, a few things where you see a correspondence between the two practices. Well, for me, the biggest one is the realization that sound exists all the time. There is no complete silence. I have times in my life where I'll take a week or two weeks and I'll go into silence and I will stay there. But you never experience total silence, even when you're in silence. <laughs> so listening to the world and realizing that all sound is a conversation with other sounds is a way that my breath also connects me with all living beings, all beings across the planet, throughout the universe, all living beings. I can feel that as I'm breathing and I can hear it as I'm listening to sounds. And just observing the space between the sounds is also another way that connects me with my breath because there's a rise and a fall to the sound of a bird singing or a tree blowing. And I captured a lot of bird song on my record. The current record has a little clip of it because I was recording birds and listening to their conversation with cicadas, with frogs, with the cars that passed by. And all of that just was a beautiful symphony to me in the same way that breath is. When you go sit by the ocean and you do meditation, you can really see it and the way you're breathing and the way that the water is moving forward and coming backwards, the tide's coming high and the tide coming low and listening to that, it is the opening to what we have in the inner world, you know, through our breath. I think sounds a door, kind of like a gateway to um, connecting with your inner light and with your inner self sound is a great way to do it <laughs> yeah i feel that too i feel the gateway i like that image it's a gateway sound is a gateway to the soundless mm -hmm. to the timeless it's a, a message every sound to me is like a message from a place that's the source of sound and silence so you're going really beyond sound and silence when you sit with it long enough and you're just flowing with the energy field of awareness. That's really true. I mean, I feel that too. 
And you just talked about connecting with everything that exists. So do you feel when you're on stage and, and you're making music or where, whenever you make music that you're really connecting to something that beyond yourself? Most definitely. I feel like there is that I am channeling and that I'm connecting with deeper places and, and beings and I'm the voice for many voices. But I also feel like sound, when I listen to the sound, it never ends. Like there are dolphins that hear different frequencies and elephants that hear other frequencies and that we can't hear. Dogs even hear frequencies that we can't hear. And I feel like breath is that way, that as we breathe in and we breathe out, that that breath, we think, oh, that breath's just out now. No, that breath is out and it is going and going and going and going and connecting with everything that is. There's that oneness, once again, that sound and music connects with meditation and that's there, you know? And it just, the fact that breath is with us every single moment of our lives is just a reminder that we're supposed to connect that way. Every single second, we're supposed to have that connection with all other living things. That's supposed to happen. It's like um, coming home in every moment. And when you take that breath and you feel the pause between it, that's, that's a stillness. And then you feel it out, and that's a stillness. It's like home. Each time you touch that stillness, it's home. It's like home, 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 home. You go back home. Wherever we came from as beings, I call us light beings, wherever that place is, in every single little split breath, we get to go back. <laughs> for just that little time and when you start breathing and watching that you expand that time home home becomes where you are more than than the world outside you know at least to me that is so true and you can come to be comfortable and feel that you belong in this moment and that comes from what you're talking about just being with your breath. It can come from other things, from sound as well. And when you say your breath doesn't disappear, it's out there in the world, they say that once a year, you're breathing in some molecules from the last breath of Julius Caesar. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it really is there. Wow. I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that. Well, stick with me. <laughs> yes, that's why I love talking to you, because I get all of these details. Because, see, I was thinking about the spirit and the soul and the body, and I was thinking about what is the spirit? Is the spirit the thing that you leave a little bit of in every place you ever went? And is the spirit of other people I've loved who are no longer here, is it still in the places where they would have gone? So that maybe breath. That little molecule could be spirit, you know? We have that, that we just leave trails of it everywhere we go. <laughs> yes, I could see that. I'm not sure I'd use the word spirit. The way I look at it, it's consciousness or awareness, an energy field of a certain plane of awareness. But yes, if everything material also has a dimension of awareness, then that would be, you could say spirit. That's, that's another thing I got to think about for the next few years. <laughs> Well, I like to 
this idea of using the word that feels comfortable for you for to be able to have the conversation because I see it that way as well as consciousness as well. So that word works for me as well as spirit, as well as breath. You know, all of the words with similarly, like when I'm talking to someone like you, I love these conversations because we can use the language that we need to use in order to express what we're like feeling in this other world or this inner world, you know? I don't know what words to really use because words after a while don't make sense (laughs) when you're talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. By the way, spirit and breath, they're connected. I mean, the word spirit has within it breath, right? Respiration, aspirate. It's legitimate to connect those. I think in Genesis, when God breathes into Adam and creates a soul, he says he breathes, and the the word for breath is the same as the word for spirit. No, but that's also where sound comes in, because sometimes the things that we can't say, we can express through sound and sonically. So I think sound, many times, when I listen to Sun Ra or... Alice Coltrane, they express things that I'm just like, yes, thank you for getting that out. And I don't even know how to say it in words, but I felt it when you played it. (laughs) So that really matters. (laughs) And that's another connection, right? It's Mm nonverbal, right? Music and meditation, nonverbal, things you can't put into words, but you feel it, right? You know it. You know it with your whole body. Like when you you play a wrong note, you know it (laughs) with your whole body, the same thing in meditation. When you know something, you know it fully, mind, heart, body, feeling. Do you have a mantra that you use? I use, and I want to say this, which is personal to me, because the word, it could be any other word. It could be tree or frog or <laughs> it could be spirit. It could be consciousness. I say, thank you, goddess, for this life. And I do have a poem in the book that is a goddess mantra. And it is something that a person could repeat to themselves again and again as they go throughout the day. One thing I really like about being raised as a Christian was learning in the Bible when Jesus said, pray without ceasing. To me, what that meant as a person who's more a spiritual person and not religious, was that just like that we breathe and we connect to home, we need to always keep that continuous communication with the space that happens between breaths. And mantras help me to keep that connection because when the world's busy and it's buzzing a lot and there's a lot going on in chaos and depression or other things, just excitement even, if I can keep on repeat the mantra, thank you, goddess, for this life. Thank you, goddess, for this life. Thank you, goddess, for this life. As I'm walking to the grocery store, as I'm entering the bed, as I'm cooking myself food, that is a repetitive, like, kind of like high, it gets higher and higher the more I say it throughout the day. And if I say it all day long, by the end of the day, I'm just in a different state, you know? I'm just like, there and it's not the words necessarily but it's that I did it you could hum something again and again and again and again and it can get you there but I also like the idea of using thank you because 
gratitude to me seals every deal, every single deal. Just being like, thank you. <laughs> like this day, this time, being here, just having this moment. I got to do this. Yes, thank you. <laughs> That's my thing more than anything. That's beautiful. Well, the book, Maps for the Modern World, I got to make one comment. I could make a lot of comments, but one thing I just want to mention is that you have these illustrations, and I've told you this before. And so it's sort of like, you know, there's a song, there's a melody in the lyrics. I think there's a real organic correspondence here between what you're saying and these illustrations. And I think that's one of the, the great things about this book. I'm a little jealous. I wish I could illustrate. Uh, I have no talent for that. And I don't think you have to really explain in great detail, but do you want to tell people who might not understand why you wrote this book? Wow. Um, I wrote the book because poems were coming to me. And, and, well, I hear songs usually, but when I hear a song, it has a melody. And I started hearing poems, which don't have melodies. (laughs) And I was getting so many of them that um, when I spoke to my friend Amanda, she was like, I think you're writing a book. And I was like, am I? Okay. Well, let's see where this goes. And over the course of about four years, I did have a collection. And so the book kind of just came in little pieces over the years. And when I put it all together, I realized that what they were were little seeds of light or encouragement for people as we go throughout our journey of this life, our dreams, our loss of loved ones or friends or whatever we might go through jobs. And as we make it through this existence on earth and ways that we can connect deeper with one another. So Having these little seeds of light was really the goal of the book, and that's why all the almost all the illustrations have like light beams coming off of them, just with a quick line of like a light color and a black color together, just showing this light. Because I think that everything, all of existence, has a light, and it's just can we see it? It's the same with the prescriptions and the record and the liner notes. If you actually get the vinyl, then every song has a prescription. Things like for courage, thanks for fear of success, thanks for fear of failure, thanks for transcendence, thanks for stillness, for meditations. And all of this is written in the liner notes. And the prescriptions are musical ways to have a seed of light and the poems are poetic ways to have a seed of light so that's really all it is just sharing in whatever way I could like encouragement things that have kept me going and little seeds of light well you've been keeping me going (laughs) and uh, I really look forward to listening to this podcast again because you've said a lot of pithy deep things that, um, and my memory is not so great. So I'm going to have to listen to this again to to really absorb some of the things you said. But I will incorporate the home into a meditation. I'm going to try that out so I can tell you that much. And do you want to tell us, is there anything you want to talk about, like what you're doing, any gigs you're doing? By the way, this comes out, we're recording now in September, but it's probably not going to come out till October 
Do you have anything that far ahead? I don't know, October, November that you want to talk about? Well, I will be going out west to perform at the Heart Restricted Bluegrass Festival. And I'll be performing in Denver, Colorado at the Mission Ballroom. And I'm really excited about that. And I'm going to do many performances in 2022, but I just didn't know for sure how everything was going to land with the pandemic. So I did not book too many things for the fall because of that. And I know I don't want to be on the road in the winter. It's too much ice. (laughs) So So you're in Brooklyn? Yeah, I'll be in Tennessee and Brooklyn and I'll just be writing and like uh, best really a time where I can take the pieces that I've gotten as I've been on planes and everything and get them all together and start to sculpt new pieces of work, new art. Well, you mentioned gratitude and how you're thankful, and I'm very thankful that um, we were put together. Me too! (laughs) (laughs) I'm very thankful for that. You are the real deal. I'll let people know. You are somebody in the music industry that has integrity, honesty. When you say something, you do it. You're not just talking about this stuff. You live it and you really embody it in the way you treat people. This is uh, something that I treasure and I appreciate it very much. Thank you. I really appreciate you as well. I had an amazing time reading your book and it's on my shelf. So I'm going to return to it many times because you have listed in the back so many books that I haven't read yet. So I have a lot of studying to do. (laughs) Thank you for that. Thank you so much. This always happens. People mention the book at the very end. And, you know, when people have stopped, I'm kidding. I'm just joking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you very much for, uh, for reading the book and, uh, So you're the one who bought my book. Anyway, thank you so much for coming. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Me as well. Talk to you uh, soon. Okay. Thank you, Will. Have a wonderful evening. All righty. You can find out more about Valerie June in the show notes. And, uh, of course, I need to thank some people here. But first and foremost, I want to thank my fans, Uh, the fans of Wolf and Tune, I mean. And uh, you guys are a little shy. Uh, If you could speak up a little louder, that'd be nice. Tell your friends and uh, strangers, anybody you bump into on the bus, about this podcast that might be interested in music, meditation, and mindfulness and the bridges that connect them all and how that could elevate your uh, mood and maybe open some doors, open some eyes. In any case, as I said, I need to thank some people. I'd like to thank... Hannah Bowers, the Hannah Bowers. I'd like to thank James Bianco and Anne-Marie Butcher, all of who helped make this possible. Until we meet again, I hope that you can keep rising up to a higher octave and let's you and I stay in tune. <laughs>